Well, if you would, turn your Bibles, if you're not already there, to Hebrews chapter 12. I am not a runner. I have never been a runner. I have never wanted to be a runner. Therefore, I have never tried to be a runner. Some of you are, and more power to you. Um, But even though I'm not a runner, I am aware of... What is described as hitting the wall. And that is simply describes that barrier that hinders some runners from running as fast and as hard toward the end of a race as they did in the beginning. In other words, if they're running a marathon or a multi-stage endurance run, there is that uh, possibility of getting to the latter stage and hitting hitting that wall. That they just, that's how they describe it. And it's, I say it's a possibility because it's not necessarily an inevitability. Not all runners hit it, and it's and it's because it's created by a um, a depletion of glycogen in the muscles and in the liver that the body uses for energy. And what happens is that at the point later on in the race, you know, it, it's depleted. And what ends up happening, um, the body and the brain begin to shut down to conserve energy. And so there are symptoms of uh, emotional and physical fatigue. Uh, there's a overall or an overall sense of emotional and psychological negativity. Basically what happens at the latter stages, without, a, without proper training and a proper diet and, a, and proper in-race nutrition, runners get to this place where they want to give up and just stop. They don't want to keep going. Not only do they not think they can, they, they really just don't want to. And our passage tonight addresses this exact issue... But from a spiritual standpoint, the Christian life, the writer has been telling us uh, really throughout the book, uh, but lately he's been telling us and describing the Christian life, this life of faith as a life of endurance. It's, it's a race that we run and that race is long, that race is difficult, that race is tiring, it's full of obstacles and at some point... In the midst of that race, and not just one time, but several times throughout the course of life, we get to that place along the way where we hit the wall. We hit that wall and we have that same physical and emotional fatigue. We have that same psychological and emotional negativity from those normal frustrations, the sufferings, the failures... um, The trials that are all a part of living this life of faith. And what he wrote here in chapter 12 for his original readers. Encouraging them to fight through the wall that they were or they had encountered and they were encountering. And then that they would again encounter in the future will, will help us as well tonight. He simply says, don't grow weary. And he provides for us uh, three things that we can remember and should remember and help one another remember to fight through that wall. 
to not grow weary and faint hearted in this in this life of faith. The first is we're going to look at is he, he wants us to remember that what Christ has done. He's going to ask us to remember what the father is doing. And then finally, he's going to ask us to remember what we should do for others and ourselves. Okay, that's the outline tonight. It's in the back of your bulletin and we'll walk through these verses together. But let's pray before we begin. All right. Uh, Father, this uh, is your eternal word. It is infallible. It is inerrant. And while the grass withers and the flower fades, it endures forever. And by it and, and by your spirit, you challenge us, you strengthen us. You encourage us and you give us rest for our souls. Would you do that this evening? Would you use me as you see fit? And it's in Jesus' name and for the sake of his church that I pray. Amen. And amen. Well, let's begin in verse 3. Again, if you have your Bible open, we'll look at what Christ has done. Let me read that for us. Verses 3 and 4. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted in your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted the point to the point of shedding your blood again the issue at hand that the author is addressing is the problem of growing weary and faint hearted or hitting the wall as his original readers would have done would have been doing and would do in the not so distant future and the encouragement that he has been giving and that he continues to give throughout this chapter is to not lose heart to not give up to not um, forsake their forsake their faith and to not turn their back on Christ he wanted them because of the pressure that was being exerted against them by the Roman government and their Jewish friends who remained in the synagogue he wanted them to hold fast and to not be moved and again to not renounce their faith and then just last week we saw that he didn't want them to collapse at the end of the race due to the pressure that was created by the sin that was weighing them down and we said not even the sin or not only the sin but even those good things that had begun to entangle them and take their eyes off of Christ, diverting their attention away from the one who made the running possible and who was standing at the finish line, not only cheering them on, but interceding on their, their behalf that they might endure and finish well. And the first thing, first thing that he says is, remember what Christ has done. He says, look, get your eyes, right, that have been diverted, get your eyes back on Jesus and take a careful, calculated look at him. Right? This isn't a, a, glancing, a, a glancing blow by any stretch. He, he wants them to, to make an intentional, um, he wants them to reflect and meditate intentionally. It's, it's taking concentrated effort. And looking at what Christ has done for them. And he wants them to do it in a specific way. Actually in two specific ways. Uh, first he says, look at Jesus. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against him. In other words, Jesus has experienced and endured a great, a, a really a greater hostility than even you have experienced. He says, Jesus has experienced a greater host, uh, hostility than 
you ever have or ever will experience. He says the hostility that you've experienced or that they have experienced is nothing compared to the hostility that Christ had undergone. Right? We understand that he was spat upon and mocked and humiliated, tortured and killed. He experienced the full brunt of humanity's depravity. And while they had, of course, had their share of hardship and and, and oppression and to the point of they had their property destroyed and confiscated and, and they too had um, been oppressed through imprisonment. And while there was still more to come, it still paled in comparison to what Christ had undergone. And second, he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. The metaphor changes ever so briefly here and it moves to the idea of that boxing competition that Paul referred to in 1 Corinthians 9 when he says that, you know, that he did not box as beating the air. And the writer saying you've been attempting to lay aside every weight and every sin that entangles you. You have been attempting to fight against and attempting to mortify your sin. But you haven't done so to the point of shedding your own blood. And of course his point is that that is exactly what Jesus Christ has done. It was Christ who shed his blood and laid his body down as a sacrifice once for all. A perfect, sufficient sacrifice. Not only, not only paid their debt, but set them free from sin and released them from the bondage of it. They've been redeemed. He wants them to know they've been set free. He wants them to know that That happened through his blood and not their own. And brothers and sisters, all all of that, of course, is true for us as well. In the midst of running this race that we're on, in the midst of the Christian life, in that life of faith that we live every day, the call for us is to consider Jesus as well. It's to look to Jesus and to look at what He has done so that when we hit that wall, or even prior to hitting that wall, approaching the wall, when we see that weariness and faint-heartedness coming, or when we're in the midst of it, that we would look to Him. And now, for many of us, when we consider looking at what Christ has done, what we have the tendency to do because we've heard it so often and because we think about it ourselves, we, we have this tendency to... To move to a place of guilt. That we reflect and we think about what he's done and it moves us to guilt. And we say things like, well, Jesus died for me, so surely I can live for him. He's he's done more on my behalf than I could ever do for him. And, And I owe him so much. Surely I can do something to pay him back. I need to pay him back. How could I ever pay him back? to start living for him. And that guilt just piles on. But the author is not attempting at all here to motivate his readers 
through guilt. Because guilt is not the fuel that provides the rejuvenation and the restoration that's needed to fight through the wall. Guilt only leads to frustration. And guilt and frustration only feed weariness and faint-heartedness. What the author is trying to do, what the writer is encouraging us to do, is to consider Jesus and remember what He has done in order to create within us gratitude. Rather than guilt, it's gratitude. In the midst of trials, in the midst of sufferings, in the midst of the temptations, in the midst of of all that, the struggle that's a part of this life. The author's saying, and we read here tonight, and the Lord is saying to us that Jesus understands those struggles. Jesus understands those trials. Jesus understands those those temptations. Jesus understands the suffering. Remember, He is the perfect high priest who sympathizes with our every weakness. And as a matter of fact, He understands that, He understands all of it better than you or I could ever understand it. And the best news of all is that he lived his life of faith perfectly on our behalf. He lived perfectly, enduring the cross, despising its shame for us. His life of faith and obedience has been imputed to us. That life of faith and obedience has been credited to our account to the point, to the point that even when we complain about the sufferings and the trials and the difficulties, even when we whine about the suffering and whine about the obstacles, we can look to Jesus and consider Him who, as we read last week in Isaiah 53, who, when He faced His own affliction and oppression, opened not His mouth. That too is credited to us. He has done it all. He's done it all. He's paid for every sin. He's earned our complete freedom. His life of righteousness has been granted to us. And the more we consider what Christ has done for us, the more gratitude that will well up within within us. And, And it's that gratitude that is the fuel to rejuvenation and restoration that will allow us to fight through the wall. And not grow weary or faint. Look and remember and consider what Christ has done. But remembering what Christ has done isn't the only means by which we fight through the wall. He also says in verses 5 to 11 that not only are we to look at what Christ has done, but we are to look at what the Father is doing. Look at verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. 
Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our good that we may share His holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. He begins with a rhetorical question. And he begins there there by asking them if they've forgotten what the scripture says about who they are or what their status is. And he builds upon what he said, if you remember back in chapters 2 and 3, where he told them that they are God's household. They are sons and daughters of God who have been adopted in Christ, their older brother, who is not ashamed to call them brother and sister. And then he uses Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 to make the point that their status as sons and daughters should have a significant effect not only on how they see the difficulties, but how they respond to the suffering and persecution that they've been enduring so that they might endure and finish well. So what he's saying here is be encouraged. Be encouraged Don't be wearied by the hardships or the challenges or the trials or the tribulations that you face because they aren't random. They aren't governed by fate or chance. They aren't governed or or they they are governed by the Lord and they have full there's full purpose and meaning To everything that you're experiencing because he is using them. He's using them to instruct and educate. He's using them to protect and prevent you from falling and drifting away. He's even using them to correct. To correct you when you are living contrary to how sons and daughters of the king ought to live. And he says he's doing that because he loves you. And he's doing that because that's what fathers do. They don't discipline children that aren't theirs. They discipline sons and daughters that are theirs. But then he says, unlike your earthly fathers who parented or disciplined imperfectly, right? earthly fathers discipline poorly, and selfishly, and and Sometimes antagonistically and harshly, mistakenly, unfairly, unevenly, even at times too laxly. But he says our Heavenly Father disciplines us perfectly. He always disciplines us in a fair and just manner. He always disciplines us, in the words of one commentator, he does so without ever being capricious, ill-informed, or ill-tempered. His motives and goals are always, are always the same, which is the sanctification of his children. And their conformity into the image of their older brother, the Lord Jesus. And then, he says, I know what hurts. I know what hurts. 
Discipline is never easy, but the pain goes away and it eventually leads to peace and righteousness as you are formed, as you are trained, as you are shaped through each and every experience you encounter. The Lord uses those things to that you might become what you have been declared to be in Jesus. The Father's discipline, He says, the Father's discipline is preparing you for what is to come. He's preparing you for what lies ahead when all things are made new. And He says, fight. Fight through the wall. Fight through that weariness and faint-heartedness. Because the Father is at work right now in you. And He who began a good work in you will complete that work in the day of the Lord Jesus. And brothers and sisters, I look around the room and I think about those who are at home even now. And I'm reminded of countless examples of challenges and struggles and hardships and pain and tribulations. Some of which is going on right now, some of which is in the past, and and we have to admit some of it is to come that we don't even know about. Each of you have encountered, are encountering, or will encounter again, if you haven't already, obstacles and steep hills and dark valleys and and raging water, to use all those metaphors from last week. And at different times, you have and in the days of he- in the days of head hit the wall and you may even be there right now you may be feeling that heavy heartedness that faint heartedness and that weariness and the lord's encouragement to you tonight whether you're here or there is the same as it was for the jewish christians then and it's the same for every believer who is a son or daughter of the living god And that is, your Father is at work. Wherever you are, whatever that experience, your Father is at work. He is at work in the midst of every moment, of every day of your life, doing what brings Him glory, doing what is for your good, because He loves you, and you love Him, and you have been called according to His purpose. He's instructing you. He's protecting you. He's correcting you. And, and, and while you may not know what it, what it is, which one of those three He's doing right now, one thing we all know, and that is, it is not a matter of, Of his wrath. There is nothing about his wrath that's associated with it because his wrath has been placed upon Christ. And he is looking out only for your good. And there's assurance there.
Whatever he's doing, it's, it's about your welfare. And yes, it hurts right now. But let's, let's really be honest because it's in times of pain and trouble and suffering and hardship that we rely upon the Lord the most because our bent is to become self-confident and self-reliant when everything's going well. He's bringing us back to Him in the midst of these things. But while the pain is real, it's only temporary. Peace and righteousness are going to come. They will be produced as we are formed and as we are shaped and as we are trained. As He conforms us into the image of Christ that we might become what He has declared us to be. In the words of Richard Phillips, the Father is making us what we were meant to be and what in our sanest moments we desire to be by means we would never choose on our own. And the knowledge of that will enable us to endure and fight through And a quick note, to those whose fathers weren't around, whose fathers were abusive, whose fathers failed to discipline, and in some way communicated to you that they did not love you, or they communicated in some way there was a lack of love for you, you need to hear tonight that the heavenly Father is perfect. He will never leave you or forsake you. He loves you more than you will even understand. And His discipline is always fair. Look to Him. Look to Him. Finally, the fight through the wall. Fighting through the wall of weariness and faint-heartedness as we run our race and endure to the end. The writer encourages us to to remember what we should do for others and ourselves. Look at verse 12. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight your paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now, he's really been doing this since... Um, Verse 3, really, he's not just here beginning to say what we should be doing. But in verse 3, he encouraged us to consider Jesus. Right? That's something that we should do. Uh, In verse 5, he he encourages us to not respond to the discipline of the Lord with disdain or dismay, to use Kent Hughes' explanation of verse 5. And then in verse 9, he tells us that we should respect and submit to the Lord and His discipline. Okay, so he's been doing this all along, but here he really becomes more pointed and straightforward. He really, well, he becomes pretty forceful. And he continues the race metaphor. And in verse 12, he says, I, you know, and you've seen this. I remember seeing kids on the playground doing this. And, and some of you may have seen this, but usually at PE and things, you know, when kids really don't want to run, you know, they, they kind of run and their arms are down at their side and their knees are wobbling and they're kind of moving to the left and the right. They're not going straight ahead. And, and that's, that's kind of the visual that we have here. He says, you know, your hands and arms flopping around at your side and your weak wobbly knees and you're staggering back and forth and you're not running in a straight line. You're just expending more energy and slowing down. 
So he says, get your arms and hands up. Get your, get your knees firm, firm stride. Point your feet forwards. Stay in your lane and run. Run hard. Right? Life is hard. So run hard. Life is tough. Run tough. But we need to remember. Well, I, I'm going to say this. So in coaching vernacular, it would be suck it up. My father-in-law used to tell his players, you, know, you, need, to get, you need to get some grit in your britches. And, and, and that's what he said. And, and we kind of, it makes us flinch when we think of him saying that. But we need to remember, right? It, he's not saying, he's challenging them. But he's not saying, pick yourselves up by your bootstraps and run in your own power. And we know that because of what he says, the very first word of 15. He says, therefore. Right? So, his point is, because of what Christ has done, because the fa- what the Father is doing for you right now, remember both, suck it up and run. But notice too in verse 13, he says, this race, this life of faith... Isn't something to be done alone. We need each other as we run this race. We're all running. And as I mentioned last week. We're running different courses. Those courses have all been set for us. And and they take different turns. Some of us are going uphill. While others are going downhill. And those twists and turns are different. Depending upon our stages in life. And and while we may all be running different courses along. We're still all running together in the same direction. Toward the same finish line. Toward the same Savior. Toward the same eternal inheritance. Right? So we're, we're doing that together. So the writer says, look, some of you may be approaching a blind curve. Well, others of you see the obstacles ahead. And some of you are running uphill. Others of you are coasting downhill. So let's do this together. And there are a couple of illustrations. And, and one is that. So those who are weak and tired and their feet are blistered need to grab a hold of one another, link arms, and push one another and help one another to the end. And then the other is those who are running strong need to look and see who's fallen and pick them up and help them to the end. Or help them get through the wall to get through those times of weariness and faint-heartedness. Either way, either illustration, we're doing this together. We don't want to leave those behind who are weak. We want them to regain their strength and to find healing so that they might continue to run. And then in verse 14, he exhorts us to do a couple things. One is to pursue peace and the other is to pursue holiness. And while we may, we may always be... At peace with God in and through Christ, we always or we aren't always at peace with one another. We aren't always at peace with one another. Very often sin and selfishness and pride and arrogance and self-righteousness get in the way and it causes discord within the body. And rather than help one another run, as I just described, we end up hindering one another. From running well. So the writer says, look, peace is something we have to chase after. It's something that we have to make ourselves do. He agrees with Paul who says the same thing in Ephesians 4, Romans 12 and Romans 14. We have to devote ourselves to it. We have to commit ourselves to it. We have, it has to be a goal. 
And in the language of Paul in Philippians 2, it takes humility and it involves putting others and their needs before our own because they themselves are more significant than we we believe ourselves to be. And while we may be or we have been set apart and declared holy and while sanctification is a work of the spirit in us. We have to admit we aren't always striving to become what we've been declared to be. And the writer says, of course, you know, very often our sin and selfishness and pride and arrogance get in the way of our growth and godliness. And so he says we're to pursue holiness. Right? The writer knows that, that the Lord has said, be holy for I am holy. So he says, you need to pursue holiness. And it's not holiness as a condition of our salvation, but as a necessary consequence of our salvation. It's This holiness that we are to strive after is fruit of the faith that we possess, that we've been given. We've been declared holy positionally and we're to seek and strive to become. I've already said it two or three times, striving to be what we have been declared to be. And we do that progressively. And then to solidify his point in verse 15, he describes both the responsibility that we have for one another, as well as the devastating nature of the alternative To pursuing peace and holiness. Look at what he says. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau. Who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward when he desired to inherit the blessing he was rejected. For he found no chance to repent. Though he sought it with tears. It's interesting that the word at the beginning of 15, see to it, is the word episcopeo. And it is one of the main words that is used for elder or minister in the New Testament. And so what he's about to say or what is to follow is not only. So what he's saying is it's not only a responsibility of the elders that you all elected last week. It's not only a responsibility of me as a minister and elder, but here the author's driving home the point that it's it's all of us who have this responsibility of what is to follow. All of us together as we run, as brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of God, a part of the same family, we have this responsibility. What is that responsibility? Well, we are responsible to do all we can to make sure that no one is able to grow weary and faint-hearted so much so that they give up, stop running, and fail to finish the race well. We all have the responsibility to do all we can to make sure that no one is able to grow so weary and faint hearted that they become stubbornly and defiantly rebellious. And we need to do all that we can to make sure that that bitterness, that root of bitterness and rebelliousness doesn't take root within our church. 
we as a body together need to do all we can. We're responsible to do all that we can to make sure that no one is able to grow so weary and so faint hearted that they begin to pursue and entangle themselves by sins that are temporary and they gratify temporarily their their worldly their their sensual appetites particularly those that defile the body and the soul which is so prevalent today we must do our part for each other we're responsible to do all that we can to make sure That no one is merely professing faith. That they possess faith. We we need to do all that we can to make sure that, that, that one another, that we never simply mourn the consequences of our sin, but mourn our sin. Because you remember, the author here at the end of 12 is reiterating what he said in Hebrews 6. And remember there, he said that spiritually speaking, if we aren't moving forward, we're moving backward. And there comes a point, if we're moving backward, that there's a point of no return. So brothers and sisters, let's remember, the race is is long. The race is difficult. But we're not running. We're running together. We're running different courses with different obstacles. We're running at different paces, but we're running together. And let us not grow weary and faint-hearted. Let's we ourselves remember and let's point one another to remember what Christ has done. To remember what the Father is doing. And what we should do for each other and ourselves. And in so doing we will run and endure and finish well. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Well Father may we receive what has been preached with faith and love. May we lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. Would you now, by your spirit, help us to see and to respond to all all that we're going through and all that's going on through this lens. That we might exhibit our trust in you. You are bringing about your will in us. Conforming us into the image of Christ. Would you help us by your spirit to live by faith and not by sight. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's now.